Men are the thermostat, women are the thermometer. Yeah, they are. Wives are, are the thermometer. What it means is, if you want to know the temperature of the home, look at the wife. By looking at her face, I can already tell you what's going on in the home. Wow. Because she's showing what he's bringing. When you see a wife who maybe is you know, bitter, resentful, or whatever, dissatisfied, a lot of times what that's telling you is something about his leadership or lack thereof. That's right. Man, so happy to be here with you again, brother. How you feeling today? Good, Chris. Love doing these episodes with you, and we got a good topic today. Come on, man. It's super, uh, super encouraging. Mm. And yeah, I've been, I've been pumped about this show. Yeah. Um, you know, I get a lot of questions as I travel, as I speak, as I preach. Uh, a lot of times, you know, one of the core tenets of Better Man is loving, serving, protecting God's woman. Yeah. So one of the questions I get asked is, you know, what does it mean, like, what did, what was the context? What was the meaning behind that verse? Um, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Yeah, you know, I've probably done in my my ministerial uh, uh, journey. I've probably done twenty or thirty weddings. Mm. So twenty or thirty times I've done some some measure of premarital counseling yeah. with the groom and the bride. And one of the things I always do is I'll write on a whiteboard: um, wives submit to your husbands. Mm. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Yeah, Ephesians 5. That's it, Ephesians 5. And I'll ask, I'll ask the bride-to-be, um, what, what part of this statement on this board do you have a problem with? Yeah. And 30 for 30. All of them. All of them. Uh, it's the submit part. Sure, yeah. And, and what I share with them then, what I share with the, the couple is, actually, that's not what you have a problem with. You think it is. Mm. What you have a problem with, and as I'll, I'll look at the husband, the soon-to-be husband, and I said, um, it's husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church because mm. when you get that right, she has no problem trusting you and following you. Yeah, it's a lot easier to follow someone who's loving you the way that Christ loves his bride, the church. Come on. That's come on. good. So when I, when I say that verse, you know, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church, I mean, contextually, like, like, like what's behind that? I mean, I, I know the whole, um, he laid down his life for his church. Yes. He laid down his life for his people. So I know that, that as a, as a husband, when I look at my wife, I'm, I'm to consider her needs, her wants, her desires greater than my own. Yeah. And, and I'm telling you as a husband of 15 years, I'll take a bullet for my bride. Yeah. I'll take a bullet for it. I'll I'll step in front of the train, whatever I gotta do. That's good. Right. And I think I think most men get that. And 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 men, if you're not in a place where you're willing to lay down your life for your bride, um, then you need to you need to rethink what you're doing, yeah, what we, you're about. We need to get there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's yeah. grow in that. Yeah, yeah. And wise, if you don't have a man that's willing to lay down his life for you, Ooh, like like pray we're, for him. We're, we're yeah, we're praying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're praying. But I think that's the low hanging fruit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's the the generic cop out per se, oh, right? Yeah. Like, let's get down to man, what is Christ talking about? Oh yeah, when he's talking about man, I want you to love your bride like I love my church. Oh yeah, you know, I think it's similar to you, you talk to Christians about the relationship with Jesus, and we'll say, oh, I would die for Jesus, and yeah. uh, the, but the question is, but will you live for him every day? Come and, on, and I think that's where I go to with husbands, like. Okay, yes, big picture, comes to it, I'll, I'll give my life instead of you know hers. I would die for my wife. All right, what about day-to-day? -day? Can you live with her, for her? Can you be for her all day, every day? And just the tedious day-to-day -day activities, 
Can you sacrifice your preferences, your desires, your interests for hers? Can you put her ahead of yourself day to day? And, you know, that verse in Ephesians 5, it is so challenging and convicting. And if Paul just said, husbands, love your wives, period, I think most of us would probably feel pretty good about how we're doing. You know, we're like, well, of course I love my wife. But he says, husbands, love your wives. Then he keeps going, as Christ loved the church. So there's this standard he's pointing us to, saying, I'm not talking about some worldly love, some eighth-grade butterfly-in-your-stomach love. I'm talking about when I I think about the love I want husbands to have for their wives, I'm thinking about the cross. That's what I'm thinking about. As Christ loved his bride, and then he reminds us how he did it. He says, how did Christ demonstrate, prove his love for his bride? He died for her. And so Tony Marita, he wrote a commentary on that passage, and he says, this is a sacrificial love. And then he keeps going that passage. It talks about nourishing your your wife with the word of God. And so Marita says, it's also a sanctifying love. And then he gets all the way to the end of that passage. Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And Marita says, it's a satisfying love. It's a sacrificial, sanctifying, satisfying love that God's called us to have for our bride. Come on. It's not, it's just not the notebook. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Hey, and listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not afraid to say I read that book in one day. There you and, go. Uh, and it's Ryan Gosling. And you wept. It's, it's Ryan Gosling's best film. <laughs> Don't at me on this. It's it's phenomenal. But but there is an essence in that movie where you know his bride to be says that she loves this old house, and he spends the rest of his life, yeah, uh, reframing, reshaping, rehabbing that house, oh, yeah. so that one day, with the hopes of one day, he and her are going to live with it. And he's literally sacrificing his time, Sacrifice. his talent, his energy, his treasure um, um, for, for her. her. And, and he's for pursuing her. her. That's it. Yeah, I, I think as Stuart Scott, he says, our marriage, he, he has these four Ps. He said it, it should be a, the primary relationship, our primary relationship. So even over my relationship with my kids, everybody, that, that needs to be the primary human relationship I have in my life. Obviously, my walk with Christ is first and foremost. But my marriage should be my primary relationship. Then he says it's a perfecting relationship. It's sanctifying us, and we all know how sanctifying marriage can be. He says it's a permanent relationship, right? Divorce sh- should not be on the table. God brings us together as one flesh for life. But then he says it's also a pursuing relationship. Hmm. And I think this is where sometimes we miss it. You know, we pursue her when we're first interested. You know, I was 18 when yeah. I first saw my wife, and I, I can tell you, she's an identical twin. They walked into the room at the same time, but I tell you, I looked at my buddies right away, and I pointed right at my wife, and I said, I'm going to go talk to her. And it's also kind of my way of saying, like, you don't go talk to her, right? Like, I'm going to I, I gotta go meet this girl. And, and I did. I you went that dibs. night. You oh, said dibs. <laughs> they, they heard me. They, they left right. me alone. And I went that night and talked to her. And, and so... You know, we pursue her. I pursued my wife for seven years before we ended up getting engaged and married. And Come on. A lot of times, though, once you're married, and you've been married five years, 10, you've been married 50, I've been married 17 years, it's very easy to slow down on the pursuit. Yeah, it is. And to stop dating your wife, stop pursuing her, stop sacrificing yourself for her. And, and I think Ephesians 5 is a lifelong call. Yeah, that's, you know, it's, it's interesting you bring that up, that pursuit piece. In a recent study, um, they looked at people who had had an extra marriage affair. Mm. Okay, so they had, they had, they had sex with someone outside of their 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 married partner. Yeah, and in nine out of ten of the cases, in ninety percent of the cases, 
it wasn't the sex that drove it. Mm. It was the feeling of pursuit mm. that drove it. It was that feeling of pursuing someone and being pursued yes. that drove the affair. Yeah. It wasn't about sex. It's it was all about the pursuit. It's the about exactly what you, that's it. It's an emotional, it's an emotional connection. We always think about that physical connection. Yes. And as men, I think sometimes we lean that way, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because we're we're physical creatures. Yes. But the reality is, man, it's the emotional connection that that sustains, makes a marriage yes. pleasurable, makes it enjoyable. It's connecting emotionally. I love mm. I love those P's you talk about. So, uh, and I think that's a great framework for helping a husband, helping a man understand what it means to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Yeah. So, so the first piece, say that first piece again. It's a primary relationship. Okay, it's a primary relationship. I remember um, uh, a couple months ago, my 10-year-old talked crazy to his mom. Mm. We were sitting on the couch. I think we were playing Mario Kart. Sure. And I was just destroying him. Oh, yeah. Uh, just, they mean, don't know. We had that back in our bro, day. He has no idea. We have years of experience. He's like, him. how are you so good at this? <laughs> well, you have no idea. And I'm just. I majored in Mario Kart. <laughs> that's, that's so good. Like, I have a trophy in the garage <laughs> I've right. never showed you. Uh, but um, uh, we're playing Mario Kart, and he says something just so disrespectful for his, to his mother. And I remember, I mean, I, I, I tagged him. And I'm like, wow. Son. And I said, don't you ever talk to my wife like that. Mm. And I reminded him, before she was your mom, she was my wife. Come on, that's good. Like, like I love you. And, 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 and I told him, I said, I said, I love you, son. Yeah. I'd die for you. Yes. But I'd kill for her. Mm. Don't forget that's good. that. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Nothing trumps that that's relationship. That's man. That's just my primary relationship. Well, man. And when we miss that, when we mess that up, and it's so tempting, I think, for moms and dads both to let the kids be the primary relationship. That's it. At some point, God willing, you know, they graduate and they go out. We did a whole episode on shepherding and sending our kids. So we're going to shepherd them. And then like the arrows from our quiver, we're going to shoot them out that's right. and send them out. Okay, when we send them out, if you look at your spouse and it feels like when there's that stranger, that roommate that I've had for all these years, then we've missed something. Now, That's I've it. seen empty nesters, you know, find restoration in that. I've seen empty nesters who had that wake-up moment where they said, man, I did let my kids be my primary relationship. And I've seen them then start pursuing their wife again and God restore it. So there's hope. There's grace. You can find that restoration. But there's also opportunity now while your kids are still in the home, to say, I'm not going to make that mistake. Yeah. Even now, I'm going to start pursuing my wife, pursuing my spouse. You, you talk about that uh, emotional affair. It's kind of a new phrase we've heard over the last 10 years or so. And you see husbands struggling with it, wives. You see men and women who get on social media and, and they reconnect with someone they used to know. And they just start chatting and flirting. And, it. and it's this emotional affair. And it's to your point earlier, it's because we're missing the pursuit and that romance in our own marriage. Yeah. And we've just chosen to to put that on the back burner instead of realizing, no, this is a primary relationship and I have to keep pursuing her for her whole life. Bro, so it, it's interesting. Another study showed how Facebook, right, because you just brought up social media. Yeah. Facebook to like the 98th percent can can predict that you're going to have a divorce six months to a year before you get divorced. Just Unreal. by following your trends on Facebook, Unreal. just AI algorithms—they they see it coming. They—they're watching your conversations. They can see it coming, which is the reason, by the way, 
I'm not on social media. Yeah. It's interesting. Like we have a YouTube show. Um, um, Better Man has an Instagram account. Chris Harper yeah. does not. I don't participate in social media. As a matter of fact, if, if, if you jump on like the show's YouTube page or Facebook page, it's probably not me responding. Spoiler <laughs> alert, I don't have social media. Right. And, and I haven't had social media for years. And people ask me, why are you not on social media? Most people don't know the story. The day I got engaged mm. to my wife, I had an ex-girlfriend reach out to me on Facebook mm. who wanted me to meet up with her. The day you got engaged? The day I got engaged. I've not heard this story. No, very few people know the story. Well, now everybody Now knows. the world knows it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so the day you got engaged, day, ex-girlfriend, the Facebook messages you. The day I got engaged, an ex-girlfriend who, who I come close to, to marrying, mm. to proposing to, reaches out to me and wants to get coffee the day I get engaged. Come on. And that day, 16 years ago, I deleted all my social media accounts. You saw, you knew. The te- because, because the temptation for me is too strong. You know, it's better just to, to that's flee. It, I dude. mean, this is what the scripture calls, right? Flee from the enemy. Flee from that's sin. It. And, and Satan Don't knows. Don't flirt with it. Satan knows, like, you're, you're not going to bring me down with money or nice cars or things like that. You will bring me down with women. Mm-hmm. Like, like he knows my, my, my weakness. Yeah. That day, 16 years ago. Deleted all social media accounts. Have not been on social media since then. And see, right there, what what that was that that was a choice. That was you choosing your wife, your fiance at the time, right over. And I think that's what we're talking about with sacrificial love, primary relationship, whatever you're calling it. It's that choosing her always. Yeah. You always choose her. You know, all day, every day, just choosing her over yourself, over the girl that wants to get coffee with you. Even over your kids, you choose her over everything. That's how it becomes sacrificial and primary. That doesn't mean you're perfect or she's perfect. You know, marriage is always between two imperfect people chasing after a perfect God, right? Uh, But we choose her. And to the wives, we would say, choose your husband. You always choose him. You're for him. You honor him. Even when you're talking to your friends, that's always a good test. When she's not around, how do you talk about her? When your husband's not around and you're with your girlfriends, how do you talk about him? Do you yeah. honor them, even on their worst days, even in their bads? Not to say you hide mistakes. You have people you can be real with and talk about your struggles. But when you choose them, that means you're for them. That means you yeah. honor them, even when they're not around. Yeah, in private and in public. Yeah, absolutely. That's it, man. So we've talked about pursuing. We talk about making it a primary, primary relationship. And a piece of that is is um, having date nights, scheduled date nights. Um, My wife and I, once every six months, we go away for a two- or three-day retreat. Love that. Nothing super fancy. Like, uh, in a couple months, we're going to Chicago. We love Chicago, Mm. so we're going to go to Chicago for a day and a half, Mm. stay at a hotel. I'll get to go to a Bulls game. She'll get to do something right. So every six months, we do that. But that helps show... Uh, my children, our family, that, hey, this relationship is a, is a priority. Yeah, we're this, still dating one another. This relationship is primary. So we talked about pursuing. We've talked about primary. What's another P? Perfecting. Perfect. Sanctifying. That's it. Sanctifying. Right. And Perfecting. that's where you get into that Ephesians 5, and it talks about washing your wife with the Word of God, nourishing her spiritually. And, and the phrase we would use, of course, is this call for husbands to be spiritual leaders in the home. And we, we've talked about this in another episode, what that looks like with our children, discipling our children, pointing them to Jesus, right? But what about with your wife? I, I remember my wife and I, when we had only been married for about six, seven months, at the time I was discipling a lot of men one-on-one. 
and I go meet with them for coffee or lunch, and I'm taking them through Bible study. Now, by God's grace, we, we had some really great counsel before we got married. We had some people tell us to pray together. We'll come back to that. So we were praying together, my wife and I, but my discipleship, my time in the Word was with all these other guys. Yeah. And there was a day where I got back after spending two hours in the Word and edifying conversation with the brothers, sharpening one another, and my wife asked, she goes, when are you going to do that with me? God. And that convicted me. I was like, oh, wow. Oh like gosh. She was saying... We can get in the Word of God together. We can sharpen one another, encourage one another, right? You can wash me with the Word of God, that sanctifying, perfecting relationship, and we would add to that perfecting the, the word prayer, right? Are y'all praying together? Uh, I, I told you before the show, the Guinness Book of World Records for longest marriage. You've been married 15 years. I've been married 17. We are babies when it comes to this other couple. <laughs> they were married for 87 years. My God. Now, the only way you could be married for 87 years, you got to do three things. You got to get married young. You got to stay married your whole life. And you got to live a long time, right? Like, That's real. You can't die young. You got to keep living. <laughs> and they did. So is this couple out of North Carolina, uh, the Fisher couple. And, and they were married for 87 years. I think the husband passed away several years ago. But before he passed away, they interviewed him. CNN, I think, interviewed him. And they asked him, you know, what's your secret? How do you, 87-year marriage? That's unheard of. Right. In Hollywood, they say a marriage is successful if it lasts longer than the gallon of milk in your fridge, right? Right. <laughs> so they're like, 87 <laughs> years. And here's what they said. One, they said divorce is not an option. And that gets into our last people we'll talk about permanent, right? But then they said we both are Christians. We serve the Lord. We believe that our covenant is as much with the Lord as it is with each other. And then they added this. They say we pray with and for each other every day. That's real. And when you hear that, oh, y'all pray together every day, then it's not surprising. Of course you're going to stay married, happily married for 87 yeah. years. Yeah, it's, hard to be, it's hard to be disappointed or mad at somebody you're often praying with and for. Yeah, well, like you yeah. said, it's easier to submit when he's loving you sacrificially, when he's your spiritual leader yeah. and he's loving you and praying with you and y'all are in the word. When I was pastoring in Houston, I got the great privilege of getting a pastor of multi-ethnic church. We had 50 different nations together. And I remember it was like my second week pastoring. I was young and I get this phone call from one of our Cuban couples, an older couple, and they've been married more than 50 years. And they only spoke Spanish, but they called me at the office. They said, Pastor, you know, they introduced themselves. They said, we want to get to know you. Would you come over to our apartment and drink some coffee? We'll hang out this afternoon. I said, sure, I'm on my way. They gave me the address. I got in my truck, went over to their apartment. Uh, they're a Cuban couple, and they gave me this Cuban coffee. Now, I know you don't drink coffee. I drink coffee now, but back then I didn't. And right. I'm telling you, I don't know if all Cuban coffee is like this, but this was the thickest coffee invented ever like, like you needed a fork to drink this coffee like it's, 40 weight motor oil oh baby. man they gave me, uh, the first drink i was like oh thank you and she goes do you want some water i was like yes please you know and so i'm sitting there in this small apartment drinking my coffee my water back and forth alternating and they just start telling me their story how they came to know jesus how they met each other been married 50 years and they were so in love with the lord so in love with each other and they start talking about their wedding and they start talking about their wedding song that they dance to. And he goes, you want to hear it? What are you going to say? You know, no, I don't want to hear it. I said, sure, let me hear it. They had a record player. And he gets up and he gets this old record, vinyl. Come on. And you and I both, we, we like vinyl. I, hey, I like this it. guy right now. Yeah, you need thick, this record. <laughs> thick coffee and old records. Let's yeah, go. Right. Tuesday afternoon, just sitting there hanging out. So, so he puts the record on and it starts playing this song in Spanish. 
that they danced to at their wedding. He walks across the living room. He takes his bride's hand, and they stand up, and they just start dancing. Come on. Now, it's a small apartment, so I'm about as close to them as I am to you right now. And it must have been the longest song ever, like a 12-minute song. <laughs> and no one said a word the whole song. And so for 12 minutes, I'm just sitting there drinking this thick third, coffee. Third wheel in it. <laughs> and awkward. they're two feet from me, and they're just looking at me the whole time, just smiling. Unbelievable. And I remember thinking, oh, please don't ask me to cut in. I don't want to have to do this. <laughs> but I've watched them. And, you know, by the way, I was like, is this what pastors do? This is what, so if That's you ever right. wonder where your pastor's at, he could be just drinking coffee, watching some old couple dance in the living room. Super, and, super awkward staring at them in the apartment. <laughs> just watching them. That's it, bro. But I, I, I get back to my office. I'm thinking about this couple. Been married 50 years. And still pursuing each other, still loving each other. But but I'm watching them dance. And, and this is where we get to that spiritual leadership side of things. As they're dancing, they're one. You know, the Bible says when you get married, you're one flesh. I think it's Ray Ortland that says one flesh is this idea of a fully shared life woven together, yeah, right? Yeah, Jesus go. says what God's joined together, man should not, not separate. separate. So they're dancing as one. What a beautiful image of one flesh. But he's leading. He's leading the dance, and Come she on. is delighting in his leadership. She is following him every step of the way with joy and smiles on their faces. And, and that's what we're getting at with that spiritual leadership, that sanctifying, perfecting part of the marriage, mm. is you want to see the husband leading, and yet they're one. He's not running off ahead of her. They're moving yeah. together. She's delighting in his leadership, just like that, that dance. Oh, man, that's such a great, great principle. I love what you said about her being satisfied in his leadership. Yeah. I think of that. I think it's second Kings when the queen of Sheba comes to visit Solomon mm. and she, there's that, there's that verse. A lot of people know Solomon shows her the splendor of his kingdom. Mm. And she's like, um, half of what I heard is not even true. Like mm. this is like, this is unbelievable. But right there it's verse eight or nine. She goes, um, but what she's most impressed with, it's not his riches, it's not his gold, it's not his kingdom. She says, those under your charge are happy. Mm. Those under That's your good. your governance are, are, are joyful. And, and, and I think about men all the time. I hear men all the time complain mm. about how bitter or how negative or just how terrible their wives are. Yeah. And and more times than not, I'll grab the man and I and I'll say it's it's not because your wife is bitter, it's probably because of your poor leadership. Mm, that that hits. That's the problem. That's convicting. Because because I think the Bible points to to this truth: when we are leading well, mm. when we are loving well, she is satisfied She's and satisfied. delighting in our leadership. Right. So, so all you men watching who, who are struggling with that, right? Why isn't my wife happier or why isn't my wife more positive or why is my marriage falling apart? There's a good chance. And I'm not saying this is a, a hundred percent gospel truth, sure. but there's a good chance. Nine out of 10 times. It's probably because you're not leading and loving well. Oh yeah. It's easy. To I know say, it's true in my life. Oh, it's easy to say she needs to do this better, but like you're saying, just love her more. Serve her more, and you'll see. Yeah. I, I had a, you'll see her change. I had this pastor friend of mine. He said, 
men are the thermostat, women are the thermometer. Yeah, they are. And he means that a lot of times husbands, they, they, they're the thermostat. They set the temperature of the home. They can set the tone of the home. Sometimes that happens in the first 10 minutes when they get home from work. You yeah. know, husband gets home, maybe the wife's getting home from work. That first 10 minutes in the evening, his attitude, his response, whether or not he greeted her, whether or not he hugged her, whether or not he gave her a kiss when he walked in the door, you know, did he throw his bag down and start complaining right he can set the temperature, set the tone for the whole night yeah. for, in that one moment. So the husband is that thermostat, but my pastor friend of mine, he said, but wives are, are the thermometer. What he means is if you want to know the temperature of the home, look at the wife. And he said the same thing you're saying. He goes, I'll be sitting in counseling, and sometimes within the first five seconds of them, walk, seconds of them walking in the room, by looking at her face, I can already tell you what's going on in the home. Wow. Because she's showing what he's bringing. And, and to your point, when you see a wife who is struggling, when you see a wife who maybe is, you know, bitter, resentful, or whatever, dissatisfied, a lot of times what that's telling you is something about his leadership or lack thereof. That's right. That's yeah. right. And it's not a um, domineering yeah. dictatorship. We're not talking about that type of leadership. No. We're talking about the type of leadership that Christ showed the church. Yes. Sacrificial, loving leadership. I think it was Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard said God's chief aim is to look upon the earth and find men he can entrust with his power and authority. Cool. Because men are either prone to abuse it or to neglect it. Yes. And both of those are equally sinful. Yes. In, uh, abusing the mantle God has given you is sinful. Neglecting the mantle God has given you is sinful. But, but, but this is what he said, and, and I think, I don't agree with Willard everything theologically, mm. but this was probably the best definition of love, leading love I've ever heard. He said, he said, love is simply having someone else's best interest at heart. That's good. Simple. That's it. Simple. It's having someone else's best interest at heart. So, husband, when you are coming home, mm. whether you're coming home from a victorious day at work or you're coming home from a terrible day at work, mm. is, your, is your priority, mm -hmm. man, having your wife's best interest at heart? Doing that, yeah. doing that, I think. So there's the pursuit there's the primary relationship, right? There's the perfecting, perfecting. There's the sanctifying. But doing what we just said, having her best interest at heart, yeah. I think will lead to this last P, mm. which is permanence. Permanence, yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah, because that's something that can last. You know, putting her, and it's so hard because we all, we're all selfish. And we wake up in the morning and our first 50 thoughts are about ourselves. Yeah. What do I need to do? What do I want to wear? I'm tired. I'm hungry. That's Whatever right. it is, right? We have all these thoughts rushing our head and it's all about us. And so to be able to prayerfully push that back and uh, think about her, put her interest, coming home from work, all your thoughts about work. I remember having to learn when I was pastoring. I would sometimes have six meetings in one day. I would sometimes meet with eight families in one day and you get home and all that's on your mind and you're emotionally drained, you're physically spent and, and you drive up in the driveway. Maybe you've had some hard meetings, some hard conversations and to be able to say, how do I leave this at the doorstep and walk in and love my wife? Yeah. How do I walk in and serve her and put her interests ahead of my own? And that leads, like you said, to that permanence relationship. Yeah. You know, when they came to Jesus in Matthew 19 and they asked him about divorce, at the time there were some different thoughts from different rabbis. Some said you, you can get divorced if there's adultery. Some said you can get divorced if, if she serves you food you don't like. And some rabbis <laughs> were saying you can get divorced if you find someone you like better. Hey, and that's a that's a bad thing <laughs> Wait, for our we, listeners. We, we yeah, reject all of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we definitely don't support that. Yeah. 
But those were the Honey, schools. you burned the dinner. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. It's a good run. Uh, I hope she doesn't do that with my dinner. She would have been out a long time ago. It's a good ago. run, but the pot roast is <laughs> terrible. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> that was not in our vows. You said you would make good pot roast in our <laughs> vows. Well, they come to him because those were the schools of thought. Yeah. And they basically said, can a man divorce his wife for any reason? Almost like, which of these do you hold to? And Jesus, and, and you know, the most wisdom ever, basically says none of those. Come on. I, I got a different way. And what he does is he goes all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. And that's what Paul does in Ephesians 5. In the midst of this conversation, Ephesians 5, wives submit to your husband, husbands love your wives. He, he then quotes Genesis 2. Yeah. And he goes all the way. They, neither Paul nor Jesus says, well, originally God's plan was this, but now y'all sin and in the fallen world, here's the best we could hope for. No, they don't do that. They still go to God's blueprint for marriage. You know, God invented marriage. It was his idea. Family is his idea. So they say, let's go to the author of this thing, the author of life. What was his original blueprint? And Jesus says, in the beginning, it's supposed to be one man, one woman, come together as one flesh for life. And that's when Jesus said, what God has joined together, man should not separate. Let's go. It should be permanent. It should be lifelong marriage. Let's go. Let's talk real quick. Let's talk to two types of listeners because this is this is going to be helpful. Mm. So let's talk to the man that's on his second or third marriage. Yeah. Um, what would you What would you say to him? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we all know in the midst of all of this, there is forgiveness, there is grace, there is restoration, and you and I, in all of our pastoral ministry, we, we've run the race with every family dynamic you can think of. That's right. We, we've been with the widow and the widower. We've been with the single mom, the single dad. We, we've been with the man who had the affair, the woman who has the affair, the woman who had the emotional affair, right? Second, third marriage, blended family. So we, we have loved and run the race well with every family dynamic you can imagine. And every single dynamic, that what's in common is if you would go to the Word of God and go to Christ he, he can bring hope and restoration. And, and so to the man who's on his second or third marriage, the call is to sacrificially love your wife. Yeah. Right now, you have entered into a covenant between you and her and y'all and God, and the call is for you to love her as Christ has loved his bride, the church. When you think back to your past, uh, when I think back to my past sins and your past sins, we, we repent, we seek forgiveness, we seek restoration, and we grow from that. We we learn from that. I have great friends who had to walk through divorce, and they have found restoration. They have found forgiveness. Some of them have found godly wives that they're now married to with yeah. kids, and they're raising them and loving them. And so the call is the same. Pursue her. Sanctify her. Sacrifice for her. And if there's any you know past that you're still seeking forgiveness for, I think you can find that grace in Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, and don't don't repeat the same mistakes. Like this is super yes. practical. Let's grow from um, that. I mean, if if the first covenant ended, you know, let's make sure the second covenant's not going to end. Yes. And and I want to remind the guy because I hear this a lot, man. Like the guy that has an ex-wife. You know, before she was your ex-wife, she was God's daughter, mm. and she's still God's daughter. Yeah. I I. I get so angry when I hear guys trashing their ex-wife. Yeah, um, she's probably the mother of your children, mm -hmm. uh, and if she's not, she's certainly uh, made in the imago dei, made in the image of God. That's right. So if you're on your second marriage, right? Yes, 
this new marriage, that covenant, honor that. Yeah. Take divorce as an option off the table. Yeah. You let this covenant be the one that that points to the gospel. That's good. Right. But there is somebody out there that is the daughter of the king. Yeah. Made in the image of God. Man, honor her. Mm-hmm. Serve her. Do not speak negatively of her. Yeah. I've got a I've got a very close friend right now that um, that uh, him and his wife got a divorce, mm. and I'm walking him through this process of of uh, remembering that his ex wife is God's daughter. Don't say anything negative about her. And it know? doesn't hurt her for you to carry bitterness and resentment. It hurts you. Hundred percent. You know, like you're carrying that anger. You're carrying that bitterness. The prayer would be to be freed from that to where you can still think of her as someone made in the image of God. That's it. That's it. And what about okay, so that's 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 one listener. I know we have listeners right now that are on the brink of divorce. Yeah. Like like there's somebody listening right now that is on his way to the divorce attorney's office. Yeah. Like yeah. what do we say to that guy? Yeah, you know, I would push pause on everything and just go to the Lord. Come on. Because there is hope. And, and I have seen the most broken marriages you can imagine. Yeah. And I've seen God restore it. The biblical truth is nothing is impossible with God. I had a couple in my office once on the brink of divorce. Divorce papers in the glove box. They're sitting in my office. All, and they had some very real hurt. Yeah. I don't minimize that. They had some real hurt, some real struggles. Um, they both had very valid concerns. Yep. And But I asked them. And they both said they were Christians, and that's the key. And so I looked at the wife and I said, do you believe God could miraculously restore your marriage? And she said, no, because my husband will never change. And I looked at the husband and I said, do you believe God could work a miracle and restore your marriage, give you something you've never even had before? He goes, no, because she's always going to be that way. And what they had done is they, they had taken their eyes off Christ and put their eyes on each other. Come They're on. only thinking about what is possible by man. What could he do? What could she do? So I asked him, I said, this is like a month after Easter. I said, guys, y'all were just here on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. They said, oh, yeah, Pastor, we, we never miss Easter Sunday. And I said, and y'all were singing the songs about the resurrection of Jesus. They said, oh, yeah, I love that song. <laughs> so I asked him, I said, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? They said, of course we do, Pastor. We're Christians. That's the key of our faith. And so I brought it home and just said, how can you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but he can't restore your marriage? Let's go. If he can walk out of the tomb, he can take your broken marriage and restore it. And and I think of that illustration Jesus uses in Matthew 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And and he just preached the greatest sermon ever, Matthew 5, 6, 7. He says, if you obey these words, you're wise. If you disobey them, you're foolish. And then he uses that illustration. He says, those who obey it, you're like the wise man who, who built his house on the solid foundation. Solid. And the storm still came, but the house stood firm. But if you disobey my word, then you have a shaky foundation. Any foundation that is not obedience to the word of God is a sandy, shaky foundation, unstable foundation. And so the storms came and the house fell and great was the fall. And right now, the couples you're talking about are the ones who are sitting in the rubble. They would say the storms came and the house has fallen. Come on. And we are sitting in the rubble. We are sitting in brokenness. And to that family, I would say God can give you a new foundation. God can restore and rebuild. And maybe for the first time ever in your marriage, this could be the year that God, who can do the impossible, who can walk out of the grave, God can give you a marriage founded on obedience to the word of God. Bro. And that's what it's going to take. That's it. Somebody needed to hear that. Yeah. 
Come on. And yep. God can do it. I've seen him do it. I, I, I had a buddy call me, and here's some of the sins that they had brought into the home, uh, addiction to drugs, alcoholism, and multiple affairs. Yeah. If there's ever a He's couple. Like three for three. Yes. If you're ever a couple, you'd say those sins are too much. Yeah. It was them. But I tell you what, they, they both knew Jesus. They both had godly men and women around them. And as he repented, as she sought the Lord, it was a long, painful road. It was a lot of tears, a lot of prayers, a lot of ladies walking with her, a lot of men walking with him. But in time, God restored their marriage. That's it. And he gave them something they really probably never had before. Uh, and he gave them a new foundation. A stronger foundation. Stronger foundation. They served together. He's one of my close friends. He's one of the most likely people to send me scripture and encourage me throughout the week. God can do miracles. Come on. So, yeah. brother, I know there's there's guys watching right now that are on the brink of divorce. Like, they may be on their way to the divorce attorney's office right now listening to this show. Yeah. What would you tell them? Yeah, I, I, I would pause real quick. Not not pause their relationship, but pause that that track you're on. You're, you're headed to divorce. Just slow down. Stop real quick and seek the Lord. Let's take our eyes off each other. Let's take our eyes off of our problems for a second and seek after God. This could be the moment where instead of running to the divorce attorney, we start running after Jesus, right? And so let's invest in that relationship. Let's invest in our marriage. And let's start to believe that God can do the impossible. If Jesus Christ walked out of the grave, and we know he did, he can fix your marriage. He can fix your marriage. Dr. Williams, I cannot add anything to that. It was great being with you today, brother. Hey, thank you, Dr. Harper. It's good. See, see you, man. Thank you.